Well, good afternoon, or good morning again, I should say. Uh, it is wonderful to, to, to be with you all this morning. And before I forget, at the very end, we'll do birthdays and anniversaries, because I forgot. But don't let me forget again. Um, today, we're going to continue in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. As we look at today's uh, topic, uh, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, to walk a mile in someone else's shoes? Y'all ever heard that phrase? We've often heard this, right? Especially when it comes to understanding and learning about uh, someone else. And, and so today, we're going to look at a passage that D.L. Moody would actually preach through uh, frequently. Uh, he was asked, Mr. Moody, why do you preach this verse so often? And Moody said, if you don't get this verse right, you won't get much else right. And so... As I began this study, I, I'll admit I came across that quote before I ever began my study. And so obviously I'm looking for something. As I, as I begin this study, I'm looking for something to stick out, something abnormal, something that's just groundbreaking, shattering, just, you know, we look for those, those moments throughout our Christian walk. And so as I was looking for that, I, well, I didn't find it. But I did find it, but I didn't find it. Does that make sense? That probably didn't make any sense. Today, we're going to learn how to love our neighbor and how it teaches us to love ourselves. These verses teach us how to hold our faith at the center of all that we do and hold what we know to be true at the center of everything. And these, these, these verses challenge a lot of what we would consider as normalcy or what we would consider as uh, common practice. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 38. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. If you have found it this morning and you are able to, would you just stand with me in the honor of reading of God's word this morning? Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. God's word says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye. And a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let us pray. Father God. Lord, I thank you for today. God, I thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have for these scriptures, Father, for this word. Lord, today I pray, God, that you would speak, you would move, you would go. Father, take me, hide me behind the cross, Lord. I pray that what is heard today might be of nothing of what Clay Heard can do. But God, I pray today that, Lord, you challenge us to become next mile Christians. Father, that we don't just settle for halfway. That, God, we give you all. All of all. Father, I pray today that as we go through our service that you speak and you move. We love you and we thank you. We pray all these things your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. History has a tendency to, to, to remember the greats. And often when we come uh, talk of, of martyrs, those who are persecuted for their Christian faith, we have a tendency to remember the, the greats of them. 
And we celebrate them for making the ultimate sacrifice in the faith. In fact, I've stood here and I've told you about countless upon countless of them. And we celebrate them. But is that the reason that these martyrs do it? Do they do it for the recognition? Do they do it for the fame? I came across an interesting account of a martyr whose name has been lost to time. In fact, the only account of this man's life and martyrdom, he is named the old man. How would you like for that to be your historical name? The old man. That's, that's just what you're known throughout history as the old man. And this account comes from a book that was written in 1563 by a man by the name of John Fox. And it's written in Old English, so I had to translate a little bit. And this is the account that was recorded. He was living in the, in the country of Buckinghamshire. And in 1531... He was, he was come across by uh, the, 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 the religious uh, eating bacon during Lent. Yes, that's right. He was eating bacon during Lent. Um, he, he would be burned at the stake for eating bacon during Lent. Why did I bring up this besides to show you how twisted the enemy can be when they're on a witch hunt? This account that is attached to this man's identity, uh, there is an account, I should say, that is attached to this man's identity. Although historians cannot prove it, there is, a, there is an unnamed account for a man who was old that was then taken to the stake and around the same time period. Um, and, and so it is said that while being brought forward to the stake, onlookers could overhear this man praying and, and, and the words that, that stuck out that what would be recorded, Lord, be thee merciful, with your people, they know not the pain in which they uh, they know not the pain which they thee cause thee. Even as he was being burned at the stake for eating bacon, he was asking God not for his own sake, but for the people's sake. Does that sound familiar? Remember what Jesus did when they were persecuting him? They hung him on the cross. What, what did he say? He said, "Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." You know, I came across this, this, this in, that, in that book from John Fox, and I came across this account, and automatically, first of all, I couldn't believe he was being burned for eating bacon. Secondly, his attitude, Lord, be thee merciful with your people. They know not the pain which they thee cause thee. Lord, be merciful with them. They don't know the pain they're causing you in doing these actions. What an amazing, wonderful prayer to be recorded from. Now, there's no way to link these two. This is an unnamed account from an unnamed old man and an unnamed old man who was, who was burned at the stake. Uh, the only thing that links them is the, is the date in which they were written. But I would like to think that there was this old man. And for the sake of this illustration, it is going to be this old man. And golly, if this doesn't show us the sense of today's sermon, I don't know what will today. Look with me in verse 38. It says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Oh golly, we are already getting into one of the most quoted verses in retaliation in the Bible. Jesus starts out with his usual fashion here. You have heard it said. In verse 39, he's going to say, but I say to you. So Jesus is, is addressing the world, the word, the contradictions of, of what the religious leaders are teaching, but what God's word actually says. We live in a world that believes and trusts in this verse. They might not even trust anything else in the Bible, but they believe this 
first. An eye for an eye. I'm going to get you. You have hurt me. You have stomped on my foot. I'm going to stomp on your foot. <laughs> if you don't believe me, I've noticed this. Look at the way kids play. You ever notice this? Those of you that have like able-aid kids, like maybe not my age kids yet, although my daughter's learning it real quick. Susie, why are you crying? Dave hit me. Why did Dave hit you? Because I hit him. Kids don't have to be taught this rule. <laughs> they learn it. It's instinctual. An eye for an eye. You hit me, I hit you. We learn it. It's instinctual. Christ, well, Christ is quoting here. We begin uh, in three parts. We have we first Exodus 21-24, second Leviticus 24-20, and third Deuteronomy 19-21. And, and all of these are referring to this idea of retaliation. However, here's the problem. We take this as a mandate for personal vengeance, but that was not what Christ was setting it forth as. I'm sorry, what God was setting it forth as. What God set it forth as, it was, it was not the way the law was laid forth. Because the original law was laid as a fair one. It kept people from forcing an offender, somebody who had wronged somebody, from paying more than what their offense was. In other words, the punishment had to fit the crime. You ever heard that? The punish, your punishment has to fit your crime? This is what it was happening. Jesus was explaining that it was not a mandate for personal vengeance, but a principle to guide the courts of the land in appropriate punishments. So, for example, I could not then go over there to, to, to Stephen Stan's rock yard, which is where, by the way, that sand dune was. Uh, I could not go over there. And take and steal me three big old rocks. Not pay for them, not even tell Stan, I can't steal that. And they come and shoot me for it. The punishment didn't fit that crime. <laughs> oh, Steve's like, yes, he does. <laughs> the punishment had to fit the crime. Look at verse 34. But I say to you, I love those words, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Do not resist the one who is evil. This word resist here in Greek is the word, uh, 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 hold on, uh, anthistomy. I'm going to mess this up here. Hold on. Let me get my, let me get my Greek in me. Anthistomy, uh, which means do not set up or do not rise up against an opposition. However, it was not the acknowledgement to become passive and to let other people belittle you. Let me show you what's happened here. This verse has been taken and used to show that we should become pacifistic and, and, our stand, uh, and not stand our ground when in actuality what this verse is speaking on is the exact opposite. It says to here, do not resist the one who is evil, but, here's that all important word here, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, you should cower and run away and not face them ever again. That's what it says, right? No. What does it say? It says if someone slaps you on the right cheek, you are to turn to him the other also. You've heard that expression. If someone slaps you on the, on the right cheek, you give them the left cheek. You remember that verse? If someone slaps you on the right cheek, you should stand. It says turn and stand. The word here is, is rapizio, which means to an open-handed slap or one of insult. If someone insults you, you do not retaliate. In fact, you go even further to show them that you are not even phased 
buy it. You offer them the other. You stand your ground. You stand where you are. And you offer them the other. You offer kindness. You offer love. You offer compassion to where they themselves offered none. What a thought. And can I tell you, that is hard. (laughs) If anybody has ever stood amidst somebody who is belittling and angering you, that is hard. But look here in verse 40. It goes even further. It says, if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. He would sue you to take your clue to this word here is chition, which means your clothing. It says to give him your cloak as well. So what's extremely interesting is is we, we talk about this tunic and cloak, this idea of a tunic and cloak. Now, you are allowed multiple pieces of tunic, multiple clothing in that sense, but you were allowed one cloak. Many people had one cloak, and the thicker it was meant the higher stature in society that you were in. And so uh, the, the warmer you were, or the, the more wool you had lined in your cloak, stood your stature in society. But you had many tunics, and it goes so far to say, give up that which you only have one of. Give up everything that you have, all that you possess, everything that you have, because they cannot take from you that which God gives you. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing a big chunk here. God gives us so much things. Now, this sounds insane to us, but how wonderful and, and, and amazing, if you think about this in the idea of what we face in our world today, how different it is. Christ wanted to make sure to address the misconception here that everyone should be battling about each other so that the kingdom would be divided about their honor. Their kingdom would be divided about something. We, we, we have... We in society today, we've labeled and, and, and depart, compartmentalized and divided and so many different things because we just can't accept the fact that we are all called to unite. We have, we've created labels for everything. Which brings me to my next, which I'm actually going to actually start preaching now. Oh my gosh, he's been preaching for 20 minutes. He hadn't even started. Okay. I've coined this term, and I I don't know if I actually coined it or if I'm just, you know, Christ is calling us to be next mile Christians. Because I didn't want to be cliche and say, go the extra mile. I wanted to call it next mile Christians. Look at me in verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, this may seem odd to you, but I hope to show you that the people listening to this, it would have made complete and utter sense to this. The Palestinians around the time of the Old Testament decided that they had a rule for their servants. They could, they could force anybody into servanthood up to one mile. The Palestinians could force anybody on any, any part of the road. They could come across somebody and force them into slavery for one mile. And that was it. That person that was not indentured to that person, it was more of a uh, mutual respect. Like, for example, if I am trying to uh, 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 do, lift something really heavy out here and I see uh, Randy drives by and sees me out there and I need some help, I say, Randy, come here. Help me with this. And under their social distance, Randy could help me for up to a mile. It's just simple common sense. But after that mile, they were no longer indentured to that person. They were no longer slave to that person. Well, the Romans saw this and thought to themselves, hey, that's a good idea. But why are we letting them go after a mile? 
That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We'll let him rest, and then we'll push him another mile. And that's exactly what was happening. The Romans picked up this, this idea. And so this philosophy, what we look at and we say doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, was actually culturally very relevant to them because they could have been called on at any moment to go their one mile. And it seemed they, this phrase uh, made a lot of sense to them because they were be required by their master to hold the one mile, but Christ had called them to two miles. So the next question that I want to spend the rest of our time together focusing on is, are we then called, are we then prepared to become next mile Christians? Are we prepared to go out of our way to love our neighbor? Because some people, let's face it, they're, they're really hard to love. Uh, we all know that person. They're really hard to love. There are three aspects of our lives that I want us to take a look at in verse 41 and ask ourselves, are we becoming next mile Christians in this? And can I be honest? Some of these are going to sting because they stung me. First, are you willing to become a next mile Christian in your home? Are you willing to become a next mile Christian in your home? Over the last several weeks, I've been issuing challenges through our social media to strengthen our marriages. Now, I might be poking the bear here, but first and foremost, we have to become witnesses. We have to become greater witnesses in our household, in our homes. And there's two ways, these, there's three ways, I'm sorry, that these fall into this. First is wise, Ephesians 5, 22 through 23. Now, don't, 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 don't start throwing spears yet. Hear me out. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. We like the first part. We don't like the second part. Or I'm sorry, we don't like the first part. We like the second part. Lord, wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. You submit to both. For the husband is the head of the, of the wife as Christ is the head of the But here's the second part. Husbands, listen to this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We like to split these apart, but these two are together. And they're together for a reason. Husbands and wives, listen closely. We have to become next mile Christians in our own homes because we cannot run away from the issues at hand. Husbands, we are called to be the spiritual head of the home, to lead, to breathe, to come into our homes, to breathe life into these homes, to breathe spiritual life into these homes. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're not. 
And you know what happens is then is we cause divisions and we're called to submit just as Christ submitted to the church. You don't see Christ browbeating his church. Now, I know sometimes we like the, we like the picture of Christ with the whip, right? You know, when we, pray to, when we pray to Jesus, we like the one with the whip turning tables and all that. Remember, Jesus also sat with the sinner. He ate with the sinner. He preached, he teached, he taught. Husbands, we are called to love our wives deeply, to go beyond, just as Christ had loved the church, to go beyond just this. I'm about to get preachy here. Husbands, love your wife. Just as Christ gave himself up for the church, you should go give yourself up for your wife. Now, what on earth does this mean? It's not all about you. It's not all about you. We have to love our wives. And can I be personal here? When was the last time you showed this in your marriage? When was the last time you showed that it's not all about you in your marriage? We have to be next mile Christians in our household. What did we do last week to demonstrate this to your wife? Guys, can I tell you, if deacons, I need a giant mirror to just hang in front of me as I preach. Because I fail often. Just as we all do. But we cannot. Christ calls us to go the extra mile. Go with Him two miles. Go with Him this, this week. Go four miles for your wife. Radically show your spouse that you love them and care for them. Men, give yourselves up for them. You may miss the game. You may miss hanging with the boys, but you know what you're not going to miss? Your godly role in the household. Wives, love the mess out of your husbands. Love them. Have the mindset that your marriage is worth the extra mile. Because a lot of times, our marriage's comfort level ends at the couch. Because that's where I'm at. Can I be honest? Our marriage comfort level ends at the couch. Third, have a mindset that your kids are worth the next mile. I didn't write this till this morning because I'll tell you what happened. I was writing a sermon and Mary Ellen came up to me. She wanted to play. I was working, I was working in my office at home. She, she came up to me. She wanted to play. And, you know, I was, I was, I was going and I shoot her away. I said, you know, go, go away. I'm, I'm busy. You know, in that moment, you know what God did? What are you doing, Clay? Pay attention. It's like God just shot me right through the heart. He struck me in that moment as if I was honest. I was in outlining, I was only focused on wives and husbands and I had nothing on kids. But God made it plainly clear that I needed to stop what I was doing and play with Mary Ellen. Our kids are worth the extra mile. We cannot be too busy for our kids. We can never be too busy for them. We can never shoo them away because one day they won't want to play and it will be too late. Enjoy it. Enjoy being a next mile parent. Second thing I want to talk about is being next mile Christians in our work. I remember hearing these men talk about a man who 
uh, he, he was a tire maker. And he worked a hard, demanding job. And he would come home every single day just covered and coated in that black rubber soot. But he was faithful. Every day at work, he would share the gospel. And one day, this man was at his church and all these people were coming together. And the pastor of this man had heard how many of his co-workers were attending service that day. And he talked with one of these men. He's, he asked him, he said, uh, he said what, why are you here? Why did you decide to come to church with this man? He says, you know what? I'll tell you why. He said, if I can be honest, I grew up and I hated God. I hated church. But then I saw this man and I saw how he shared the gospel and how this man easily does the work of four or five men. Easily. He works hard. He works himself rugged every single day. He said this, if he can do that, I know Jesus can do more. I love those words. I read, oh, if he can do that, I know Jesus can do more. His work ethic had led not only to his coworkers trusting him, but some of them even coming to experience salvation through talking with him. In fact, the pastor that day had asked people to stand up and if they had come to know Jesus just because of this man, and over 30 people stood to their feet that day. And he says, no, 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 not that they've come to church, but have actually come to know Jesus. And those same men stood. And what an amazing testimony we are given in our jobs. We have to be next mile Christians in our jobs. The Bible calls us to serve our earthly masters just as we serve God. We have to give it our all because that's what sets us apart. That's what sets us apart. Keith Fletcher and I were talking uh, a couple weeks ago. I cannot stand to sit and watch somebody else work. I can't do it. It's just not in me. I I cannot just sit there and watch somebody else do work. I'm going to, in fact, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to brag on him because I know he doesn't want want me to. But Leo Bradley is very faithful. You know, I was, I was working on this, uh, this playground over here, and I hurt that next day. Leo brought his kids, and they were out there working. And I couldn't just sit there. I had to join in and work with them. But I'm so thankful. I'm, I'm so thankful for men like Leo that just step up and serve just to do it. They don't want recognition. They don't want thank you. They just do it. I'm, I'm, thank you, brother. We're called to serve our earthly masters as we serve God. That's a great example of how we are to serve God. We don't do it for a paycheck. Paycheck's nice. We need to provide for our families. We need food, right? I'm not saying that you should should just go volunteer all your time at your workplace. No. But that shouldn't be our driving factor of being there. We should be there because God has a plan and a purpose for us. When we are in our places, when we are at our jobs, when we are at our places of employment, we are missionaries for God. And we have to become next mile Christians in our work so that when people look at us, they can easily see that we are different. i got to wrap this up quick. We're going long. Third and last part is we have to be next mile Christians in our relationships. We have to conduct ourselves completely above reproach and above any kind of scandal. We have to set ourselves apart. You know, this is something that it asked me and and, uh, it kind of stabbed me in the gut. If people were to watch your mannerisms and your character, if people watched you, would they want your Jesus? 
If people watched you, would they want your Jesus? You know, you know what I'm talking about. When you get behind the guy that's got the honk if you love Jesus sticker on, on, the, on his bumper and he's cutting you off and flipping you the bird and, and, and just not showing Christ at all. When people look at him and say, that's, that's not the Jesus I want. That's far too many Christians that are showing that kind of Jesus. We have to, to, to conduct ourselves in a manner that when people look at us, we should be reflecting Jesus. We are all, we are nothing but a reflection of, of Jesus. But when people look at us, they should want our Jesus. And sometimes, people don't want my Jesus. People don't want my Jesus. We have to conduct ourselves. We have to hold ourselves accountable. We have to go the next level, next mile. Because sometimes, if I'm honest, I'm reflecting clay. I'm not reflecting Jesus. We have to hold ourselves accountable. We have to hold ourselves above reproach. Last verse. I promise I'm almost done. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Do not turn away from the one who would borrow from you. Do not turn away the one who is looking after Christ. Conduct yourselves. Be, be willing to go the next mile. We have to look at the next mile not as something we we, we want to do, or, or, or maybe that's not the right word, uh, as, a, as a chore, but it's something we must do, we want to do. Because the next mile is not a chore. We cannot be halfway Christians. In fact, the gospel doesn't allow a so-so answer. It's a call to ask, where will you spend eternity? And it's a yes or a no answer. There's not an eh. I'll end on these questions. Are you willing to go the extra mile in your home? Are you willing to go the extra mile in your work? Are you willing to go the extra mile in your relationships? Are you willing to let Jesus be the Lord of your life? Are you willing today to surrender into a call that Christ has put in your life? Maybe you're here today and you have never accepted Jesus before. Can I tell you today that it's not about us? Can I tell you today that there is nothing in an I statement that can bring you to salvation? It is because of He, because of Jesus, because He loved you so much, because God loved you so much that He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross so that He could offer grace, so that He could bring you into eternity. Can I tell you today, if you are here today and you never made a profession of faith in Jesus. Can I tell you today that he is worth it? He is worth going the extra mile. He is worth becoming a next mile Christian. If you're here today, maybe you've been a Christian for several years. Can I ask you to join me in praying for these three things? For our churches that we might be put on mission, put on fire to become next mile Christians in our home to work on the marriages that are within us, to be next mile Christians in our work. When people see us work, when they see our dedication and how we conduct ourselves, they see Jesus and to become next mile Christians in our relationships. Maybe you're here today and God's got something else on, uh, that's going on in your heart. Maybe he's calling you into a vacation. Maybe he's calling you into a missionary. Maybe he's calling you into ministry, whatever that might be. Here in a moment, we're gonna have what's called a time of invitation. 
And can I say that there's nothing magical about this time? This time can happen at any point. But can I tell you that we're about to have Emma come up and Emma's going to sing for us. And it's going to be a time where I hope that I don't even remember what song we're singing. But I hope today that all you're hearing is you and God. If God is working on your heart, if there's a decision to be made, I will be down front if you need prayer for anything. This altar is open. If you just need to lay your burdens before God on the altar, it is open. And can I tell you, there's no stigma. Guys, I've been in churches where you come to the altar, they're like, oh my gosh, what's going on in their life? They'll do that. Maybe they just need to come to the altar and just say, God, I need you to use me more. Can I say in this time of invitation, I pray that you listen to God. Father God, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to just open up your word today. Father, it's a, the, the challenge and the calling that you've given us in our lives to become next mile Christians. God, I know it's a little cumbersome, Lord. I know it's a little weird to say, but God, I pray today that that phrase might stick out to us this week. That, Lord, we might work at our homes. Lord, that you would call us as men to be husbands, to be the spiritual head of the households, Father, that we might submit to Christ just as we are called to. Father, I pray for our wives, Lord, that they would give us the nudge that we need, Father, that they would work in unity for us, for our families, for our households, that we might come to a place where we can love you deeply. Lord, be with a, a calling to our kids. God, we need great role models for our kids. People who will teach them biblical truth. Father, if there's someone here today, they've never made a profession of faith in Jesus. Lord, they're here. You're working in their life. God, you're speaking to them this morning. Lord, I pray today is the day. God, you would call them out. Lord, you would tell them, Lord, I know that I am a sinner, but Father, you are the Lord and you have offered me grace. God, I pray today. Lord, if there's someone here and Lord, they're willing to pray that. God, I pray today that you would give them boldness. God, I pray, Father, that there is someone here that, Lord, you're working in their lives. Father, you're putting calling in their lives, whatever it might be. God, I pray today that you would allow them to answer that call. God, as we go into our time of invitation, Lord, I pray that you speak. And God, we listen. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name.